Welcome friends, my name is Jonathan Reeder and I am the Community Life Pastor here at Friends Church in Orange. And we are so glad that you are checking out this message today. We hope that you find inspiration for your spiritual journey wherever you're at on that journey. We're just glad that you're here today. If you wanna find out ways to get connected here at Friends and be a part of our community, you can just check all that out on the website that you're on right now. Find out how you can be a part of what is happening here at Friends. We hope you enjoy this message and we hope that God blesses you through what you hear. All right, thank you. I feel a little bit like it's um, Beauties and the Beast, but you know we'll go with that. It's great to be with you. I um, have been looking forward to this for a long time. Um, I love Kyle. I love, love Kyle. I just, uh, from when I heard he was coming uh, to this church, I went, they are fortunate. But I've also said that I thought if Kyle ever, uh, you know, dumps this gig, Holiday could be your pastor because she's amazing, okay? And then Sean King, who is on staff here. She actually was my boss for the last 12 years um, until she came here, and I love and adore her too. So it's great to be here. Um, I actually got married at Yorba Linda Friends, so part of the Friends thing. Went on a 10-day honeymoon, came back, and was the high school pastor. Yes, I had hair when I was the high school pastor, so I feel a little bit you know, connected to all of you, but obviously not as cool as like you in that hat and those cool shoes. <laughs> It's weird to be the old guy and, you know, get introduced as the old guy and, you know, just the most uncool person on stage, but we'll just go with that also. Interesting enough in my life, I wasn't raised in a Christian home and, and really didn't know how to do relationships. So my dad was an alcoholic. My uh, grandfather on my mom's side was, was an alcoholic. So I kind of came from that dysfunctional background, met Kathy at Azusa Pacific the very first day. And I said to my nerd friends, yeah. People like sitting over in that row right there. You in the back. You know who you are. You just raise your hand. So, so she was sitting in the second row right where this fine woman is who has the Angels baseball shirt on. And I said to my two new nerd friends, see that girl down there? And they said, yes, she's gorgeous. They said, um, she's, she's beautiful. And I said, well, I'm going to take her out on a date. And they looked at her beauty and they looked at me and they... You didn't have to say that, but yeah, you're right. They did laugh. But... Uh, I met her the next day, and one week after college graduation, we got married, and we've been married for 48 years. And I think maybe because you're old, they say, well, let's talk about relationships, but that's what I've studied all of my life. But yet, I came from a dysfunctional family. Her family was just a little crazy, and so we thought it was going to be easy, and it wasn't. When I was the youth pastor at Yorba Linda Friends, we would drive to church and we would have an argument, and then I would go and talk to the kids about the joy of a Christian family feeling somewhat hypocritical, right? So no perfect family here. Three daughters, no hormones and drama, of course, in our life with those three daughters. <laughs> right. But people will ask me this question. What are, what are the key ingredients to a successful relationship? And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, if you're married, it's a marriage talk. If you're not married, it honestly is not a marriage talk. It's about relationships. And so if you're single, if you're a student, whatever it is, I believe that we've got something for you today to think about relationships, which is actually one of the most important things possible. When my dad died, I was so aware of something that at hospice, he wasn't thinking about you know, his 401k or he wasn't thinking about other things. He wanted a right relationship with God and he wanted a right relationship with his loved ones. And so when it comes down to it, 
Even what they study at the end of your life, you want a relationship with God, a relationship with your loved ones, right? And so I think what we're going to talk about today is something that key and, and that critical. Now, to answer that question that I have up there, uh, you know, what are the key ingredients? It's kind of a simple answer, but it's not easy, see? Because why? Well, a sinner marries another sinner, and you have sinnerlings, and so we kind of bump into each other, right? I mean, we do, okay? And what I found as I started studying relationships was that two words rose above the rest. And today I want to introduce you to those two words. And again, they're not complicated words, but they're not easy words. But here are the two words. Positive adaptability. Okay? Now, honestly, if we put positive adaptability into our relationships, no matter what relationship you're thinking about right now, it would be better. Fascinating enough, as I started studying people who were developing positive adaptability or not, I found that they had the same problems. So in marriages that were working, in relationships with your kids that were working, in relationships at work, whatever it is, if you put in these principles and these patterns, you did better. And if you didn't, well, then you weren't as stable. Fascinating, isn't that? So what I found was that as I started looking at this, there were these words that could jump out at me, and one, of course, was the positive adaptability. But the other one, three points, be adaptable. What I found was that people who are adaptable do a lot better. In fact, I have a mentor. His name is Neil Clark Warren. He's in his 80s now. He's somebody you've all seen his face on TV. He um, is the founder of eHarmony.com, so he has this beautiful white hair, and he gets up there, and you know, he's just a great guy. What people don't know is that he's a strong Christian and he's a marriage expert. And so over the years, he has mentored Kathy and me in a great way, he and his beautiful wife. And one day I was in his office because I was working with him at eHarmony doing some consulting for him. And I said to Neil, I said, what's the most important trait to a healthy relationship? That should be a question for all of us, right? Without a moment's hesitation, he did not pause and he said, adaptability. And when he said that, then we discussed it. And what he said was, basically, stuff changes. Stuff happens. And so in every relationship, something's happening. If you're married, you know, you are trying to stay married. You're trying to make payments. Life's complicated. If you're not married, you're trying to build relationships with people. It could be of the opposite sex. It could be actually building with somebody of the same sex, a friend group, whatever it might be. But stuff happens. And frankly, what he was telling me is you have to be adaptable. So Jesus spoke to something higher than that. But today, as we get to talk about different scriptures in this uh, series that you've been in, I'm going to give you my favorite scripture. And I think it relates to relationships, but much more. So it's actually not a phrase. It's a whole paragraph. And it comes from the greatest sermon ever spoken and the greatest sermon ever written. And really, even people who are Christian or not Christian do not debate that. There's never been a greater sermon. What is it? Sermon on the Mount, right? So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and a lot of times the ending is the big, you know, crusher here, um, Jesus comes up with a pretty incredible statement. So let's take a look at it as it comes up on the screen. Therefore, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise person who built their house on the rock. Okay. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, he was doing an, uh, kind of a cool innuendo thing because he is the rock. But at the same time, we also know that in the building world, you're going to build on a rock. You need a firm foundation or your house is going to fall apart. 
I don't think we spend enough time when we think about relationships of how do we build the foundation so the relationship works. I know in the first couple of years of my marriage with Kathy, it wasn't working and it wasn't working because we weren't building our foundation on the rock. We were just kind of letting it go, whatever would happen. We were imitating our parents. We were just having a bad deal. We finally had to decide, are we going to recover or are we going to repeat the sins of the previous generation, which were both of our families, and we decided we were going to recover. And to do that, it took, up, it took some work, roll up your sleeves, build it on a foundation. The scripture goes on to say, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish person who built their house on sand. Now, we all know that if you build a house on sand, that's not going to work because the sand does what? It shifts. Notice that it says the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet this time it fell with a great crash. Fascinating enough, Jesus is making innuendo that rain and wind and storms come to all of our life. If you have your house on a rock, great, but you're still going to get some rain, wind, and storms. If you have your house on the sand, you're going to get some rain, wind, and storms. So it's not a matter of if you get rain, wind, and storms into your life, burdens, problems, hassles, sicknesses, issues with other people. It's, it's when. So it's not if, it's when, see. And so just because you're a Christian, that doesn't mean that you're free from pain or that you're free from burdens. And the mistake we make is that because we're Christians, we go, oh, we shouldn't have the same problems as other people. No, we do, especially when it comes to relationships. What Neil Clark Warren taught me was that communication is a learned trait. See, I thought it was just, well, I'm imitating my parents and Kathy's imitating her parents or, you know, our kids are you know, hormonal or whatever, but that wasn't the case. It, it's a learned process. When we're talking about be adaptable, uh, Neil went on to say to me, and I, I put these words up on the screen for you, if I could give one gift to every couple on their wedding day, and it's because I asked him, what would you give as a gift on a wedding day? He said, and in every family relationship, I'd wrap up a large box filled with adaptability because no matter how good your relationship is, you will have to be flexible enough to change yourself and at least tolerate your partner's or your family member's differences. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word flexible because flexible, flexibility and adaptability are the same thing when it comes to relationships. Now, Kathy and I, we are absolutely uh, different, and we drive each other crazy at times. 48 years of marriage, and we still drive each other crazy. I'm an, I mean, I'm an introvert. I'm a total extrovert, and she is a total introvert. And when we dated each other, I was actually drawn to that because she would listen to my jokes, and she didn't have to talk all the time, and I love to talk, right? <laughs> it began to drive me nuts because we would go to a party, and I would have a shallow conversation with every person at the party, okay? patting them on the back, talking, you know, doing the little mix thing. And Kathy would sit on the couch and talk to one person, and that would drive me nuts, see? Later, I found out that that one person would say, my life was changed because of the conversation that I had with Kathy. She had no need to go meet everybody. She would come back from the party, and she'd be exhausted, and I'm, like, totally energized. But I'm kind of mad at her because she hasn't met everybody. See what I'm saying? So the point that I'm saying here is that I had to learn to embrace our differences. Kathy is a detailed person. Oh, is she a detailed person? I'm not as detailed. She would say responsible and unresponsible. But she's not here, so we are not going to talk about that, right? <laughs> I mean, this is our first year of marriage. Kathy was working 
at a place called Pacific State Hospital, and her expertise is in the world of autism and kids on the spectrum, and she's really, really good at it. And so she had to get up super early, and um, we, I was the youth pastor at Yorba Linda Friends when I had hair. And so we're in this, this studio apartment, and it's about one o'clock in the morning, and we had gone to bed, and all of a sudden, I hear something, and it's Kathy doing this. <sighs> do you have anybody in your family that does that? It just drives me nuts. And if you do it, you drive me nuts. <sighs> So Kathy is sitting at the kitchen table and she's making this noise. So I can tell something's wrong and I figure it's me, but that's another story. So I say, Kathy, what are you doing? I'm, I'm frustrated. The light's on. It's woken me up. She says, I'm balancing our checkbook. Now, now dude, you don't even know what checkbook is, do you? I mean, you honestly don't know. Have you ever seen a checkbook? I am so impressed that your mother has taught you well what a checkbook is because, you know, I, I realize the new generation doesn't really use checkbooks, but a checkbook, it's this thing that you, never mind. Um, so she's trying to balance it. And so I, now I'm, I'm up because I'm like, what is wrong with our, I mean, we didn't make a lot of money. So, I mean, there was not a lot of money to be unbalanced on. So I get up and I say, what's going on? Now I'm very kind and very considerate. And all of a sudden she looks at me and she goes, I, I've been, for two hours, I've been working on this and I... I can't find a dollar 31 cents. Now, if you're detailed, you're like, and what's the problem with that? And if you're not detailed, you're like going, she's a wackadoo. Okay, I get it. Okay. In my mind, I take the second group and I went, Kathy, you've been up for two hours for a dollar 31 cents? And she said, yeah. So I did what any loving husband would do. I went into the bedroom. I pulled out a dollar out of my pocket and 31 cents and I slammed it on the kitchen table sleeping on the couch that night <laughs> for the first time in our marriage, but not the last. Um, it wasn't so bad. It's like camping, okay? So the point that I'm saying is, is I let that get to me. And, and I could name several other differences. But I've got a phrase for you that could change your life. Honestly, it could. It's changed my life. Over the years, what I learned was this phrase, and it has helped me in my relationship with Kathy. It's helped me in my relationship with my three daughters. It's helped me in my relationship at work. Are you ready for the phrase? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? I mean, does it really matter? How cool is it that Kathy embraces our finances so good and such a great steward of our finances that she cares for $1.31? I don't. But you don't want me running that thing. See? How cool is it that she has a, a life-changing, significant conversation with somebody when I'm talking about you know, the Dodgers, I went to the Dodger game on Friday night, and so it was one-to-one, -one. it was really awesome, and then we decided to leave because we had our grandson, who's two, and we left, and then they hit a grand slam, so I didn't get to see the grand slam. But it doesn't matter, because I can still talk about the Dodger game to somebody as if they really care, okay? Where Kathy's going to talk about much more meaningful things. But does it really matter? Do our differences really matter? There are, different, there are things that matter, please don't get me wrong. You have a child, you're older, and you have a child who's on drugs. You have an adult child who's strayed from faith. I get it. I mean, I totally understand. There's some things you just got to lean into. But most things don't matter is what I've learned, see? Like, like, let's take, for example, the toothpaste tube. I mean, that's a big deal in our family, okay? So I get married to Kathy, and one of us squeezes the toothpaste tube from the middle and then sometimes forgets to put the toothpaste tube on. Like there's toothpaste on the counter, Another one of us rolls it up nice and neat, as, as Jesus would do, of course. 
Does it really matter? I mean, we learned quickly to buy two tubes. Of, we honestly have two tubes of toothpaste. Okay. So we never fight about the toothpaste tube because I am in, like in shock that that's what she does. See? But does it really matter? No, it, it doesn't matter. Now, I want to show you um, a film. And the film... I'll just tell you, if you don't like British humor, you're going to think I'm really crude and gross and terrible and all that, but it's just fun British humor. Uh, but it actually makes a statement, and I'm going to tell you ahead of time that I think this woman, it does matter, and I think she needs to teach this guy some lessons, okay? I think he's got a problem, too, in this story, so don't think I'm just giving the illustration that, you know, give up on the guy. But anyway, here's British humor. It's from a sitcom from a long time ago. Enjoy. Good morning, sweetheart. <laughs> or should I say, Mrs. Vine? Isn't this absolutely beautiful? <laughs> From now on, it's just you and me and the rest of our lives. <laughs> every minute of every day, together. <laughs> Summer, winter, autumn, spring. Come what may, I'll always be with you. Wherever you go, I'll go. Every direction you turn, there'll be no escape from my love. <clears throat> oh, I know people say that you, you change when you get married, but don't worry, darling, I'll never change. Never. <clears throat> sure, we'll face obstacles, but we'll face them as a team. And when we do go through hard times, we'll go through them together. And we'll always be able to look back to this day, this place, this perfect moment together. Don't bite your nails, love. He had the audacity to say, don't bite your nails, love, after on the morning of, after they're getting married, he's putting her through that? Now, some things matter. Please don't hear me say that that woman needs to train that man big, big time. But you know what? Nails probably aren't going to be the biggest thing. I mean, you know, it would bother you maybe. But is it worth fighting for? Is it worth, you know, breaking up relationships for? Now, to keep in the British school of thought, Winston Churchill said this, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. And that's what we do with communication a lot of times. That's what we do with relationships. We're throwing stones at every dog that barks. But we're never going to get to the destination, which is better if we're always throwing stones at each other. And that's what we tend to do because that's the lazy way to do it. So we've got to be adaptable. Adaptable spouses and people don't whine. Adaptable spouses and people don't blame. And we've got to be adaptable. If, if you are a control freak, this is not an easy one. But I'm telling you that if you're a control freak, you're probably not in a good relationship with some people. I, no elbowing, by the way. I just saw some elbowing happening right now. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so number two, be positive. And you go, oh, come on. Are we supposed to be Pollyanna and all? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that kind of positivity. Positivity is the twin sibling to adaptability. In fact, John Gottman, Jewish researcher out of the University of Washington, the researcher when it comes to relationships, he says that people who are positive toward one another do much better. And what he says is you have stable relationships and unstable relationships. And if you have a positivity 
you're going to have more of a stable relationship. If you have no positivity, you're not going to have a stable relationship. It's that simple. See. He goes on to say that there is something called learned optimism. Remember I said that communication is a learned trait? Well, we can learn to be more optimistic toward our spouse. Now, that's hard. Sinner marries another sinner with sinner links. Like I said, that's a problem because you're with people who, you know, sometimes do make weird noises and do all that stuff. But what John Gottman teaches us, and it's very important that you hear this, this is about building your life on the rock, not on the sand. Because when storms come to a relationship, any relationship, if you've done what he's going to tell you to do, and it's, it's his point, not mine, but he calls it the magic ratio. And the magic ratio goes something like this, okay? What it says is, it says for every one negative comment, it needs five positive comments to make up for it. See that? So that's the magic ratio of a relationship. A lot of us don't do that. And sometimes it's because we're lazy. Gottman says that if it's one positive interaction to one negative interaction, that that's a marriage that's not going to last and it's a, a relationship that, that's not going to go so well. See. So basically, what we're saying here is we've got to work on the positivity, okay? And it's a learned trait, and it's learned optimism. Let me speak about negativity for just a minute because negativity kills relationships. So if you're negative Nancy or you're negative Ned, you may not even realize you're killing the relationship because honestly, you may be trying to be helpful in terms of criticizing all the time. Even criticism that's true, if it's, not, if it's happening all the time without some positivity, it's not going to be heard. And I'll be honest with you, I can say this because I don't live in your house, people run from you if you're, if you're negative Ned or you're negative Nancy all the time, see? And you've got to be careful with that because we want to help, but we can't help through the, just being negative. In fact, Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Isn't that interesting? So if we're to do all things without grumbling and complaining, that's a discipline. And Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The word discipline in the Greek actually is more of a discipline for exercise. But it, we can discipline ourselves to actually refrain from grumbling and complaining and being negative because negativity in a relationship just kills it. So we've got to flee from it. Now, this may be an oversimplification, and I kind of just said it, but I want you to hear it again, that negativity will devour the happiness of most relationships. See? And if we're doing something like that, and you're thinking pessimistically, and you're acting like that, and you're putting your relationship in a negative light then it's not going to work. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy is simply saying, if you're saying this is negative, it's lousy, it's crummy, it becomes that. In fact, the Bible says, and I think this is an interesting scripture in Proverbs uh, 23, 7, in the New King James Version, it says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Emerson said this, you become what you think about. So in relationships, and again, we don't think enough about this, about relationships, that if we're always thinking negatively about it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a lousy relationship, okay? So we've got to flee this. Now, now, we have problems and we have patterns. And let's take in our life. If, if you have problems, and you and I went out for coffee, and I'm a little bit trained in this background, so maybe we could, we could actually help you through your problem. We could find an answer. But when it comes to patterns, it's a lot harder. Now, here's the problem with, with negativity, is we have negative patterns. So let me ask you a question. What is your negativity pattern? Do you know? 
Maybe a better word to say is what is your negativity trigger? I'll tell you what mine are. When I'm hungry, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely, and when I'm tired. It's halt. I need to stop what I'm doing and take care of it. It's actually in the recovery movement for people. I didn't learn it uh, from any other way, but from people who are in the recovery movement. But that's my, those are my negativity patterns. Now, what are your negativity blind spots? You go, well, I don't know. I'm, I don't, it's a blind spot. Right. So ask people around you what your negativity blind spots are. They will be glad to tell you. <laughs> and they have permission to tell you what the negativity blind spot, just not being negative Nancy or negative Ned. So the fascinating side to this is when you're thinking about your relationship, here's the question you have to ask. There's actually two of them. This is worth it. Do you want to be right? Or do you want your relationship to improve? See, a lot of times in a conflict, we are going to be right. I'm right, in my humble opinion, 99% of the time. <laughs> Kathy doesn't have that same view, right? But even if I am right, and I'm right at times where I can overpower Kathy with a conversation, so she probably gives up. Did I win? No, I did not win. So sometimes I need to come in with humility and kindness and understanding and trying to get where she's at. And in doing that, we win the battle. But I didn't win the war. See, I'm, I'm, who's, why are we in relationships to try to win? We're in the relationship to try to improve the relationship, and it's possible to do. My daughter, Becca, uh, middle child with an emphasis on middle, um, but she, is a, she has a background uh, degree, master's degree in clinical psych, <clears throat> and she introduced me to a new word that I'm going to give to you. Okay, are you ready? It's a new word. You can look at it in the dictionary. It's actually made it to the dictionary in the last few years. Are you ready for it? It's called awfulize. There it is, awfulize. It's actually out of the dictionary. It's a verb, it's informal, it, um, which I have no idea. I mean, does that mean that the verb wears shorts? I, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> imagine a situation to be as bad as it can possibly be. That's what a lot of us do. We don't only go negativity often, we go to awfulize. I awfulize the upcoming confrontation I was planning to have with my spouse. That's in the dictionary, okay? So, if you're an awfulizer, then that's a step even further, and that's not good. An awfulizer is my husband's late from work again. He's probably having an affair, okay? Our son is going to impregnate his entire class, and he's only in fifth grade. Um, <laughs> we'll never get out of debt. We'll always hate each other. This relationship is always going to be bad. See, that's an awfulizer, okay? Do you awfulize? Because if you do, your relationships aren't that good. In fact, one of the reasons why maybe some relationship has been broken is because you awfulized. And you weren't trying to be holier than thou. You weren't trying to put it all together, but you, you have to look at yourself and go, whoa, I had a part of that. Now, I'm going to show you another video, and uh, you're going to find somebody who could possibly be an awfulizer, just possibly. And if you are 40 and over, how many of you are 40 and over in this room? Okay, like, okay, so if you're under 40... Okay, you're going to have no clue who, who this person is. He's a psychiatrist from a television show. Um, if you're over 40, you're going to know who this person is. His name is Bob Newhart, okay? And we're going to watch him have a counseling session with this woman. We're actually going to watch the woman walk in. They're going to make some things which are kind of okay and then really focus on the advice he gives her, okay? About a minute or so into the session. Here it is. Go. <laughs> Go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, 
I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes, yes, that's it. All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most We find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I.T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, you, you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that... Sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> Silly one, and by the way, if any of you therapists, I, I apologize because stop it is too simple, but the truth is you're going to have to figure out how to stop it. I mean, I said this just last week to somebody who's actually an addict, and they're going to have to stop it. Now, again, there's things they're going to have to do to work through that. They're going to have to work through a program. This person may have to go to in-treatment. I totally get it, but they're never going to be happy. They're never going to get their life together. If they don't, what? Stop it. Okay, so if you're an awfulizer, I will guarantee with you, and I'm not some kind of person who just has this in my head, it's not working for you. So what we have to do is go be adaptable and be positive and, you know, stop being an awfulizer and you're going to do better. Now, I want to bring up one other issue just really briefly. It's be kind. I told you it was a simple message, but this isn't, I mean, it's an easy message, not a simple message. Kindness matters in relationships. And I want to give you f really four scriptures that will help you take this uh, home with you, if you would, okay? Scripture number one is found in Ephesians 4.32, and it's going to come up here on the screen. And it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God, in Christ God forgave you. So because I'm forgiven, what am I doing holding on to grudges with Kathy or with my kids or with people at work. My job is to receive the forgiveness, forgive them, and in forgiving them, I'm being kind. And you say, but what if they're not kind? Back. Will you be kind anyway? It doesn't talk about that. If you, if you put your finger out at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. That's plenty of fingers pointing back at you for you to be kind. The next one is an amazing scripture, and it's found in kind of the definition of love. And we think of it as love, but look at really how it's explained in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Okay, I get that. Love is kind. We sort of miss that. It does not envy. It does not boast. 
It is not proud. So in other words, your job is to show kindness, and in showing kindness, you show love. I know with my relationship with my kids or with my wife, when I show kindness, that means I'm showing love to them. They get that. They, they, I mean, I don't have to say that. So we show kindness. Are you a kind person? Are you being kind back to them? Because you can have a disagreement and still be kind. You can have conflict and still be kind. Now, what about this scripture? All famous scriptures. This is found in Galatians. And what it says here is fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. So as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness. There it is, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. So in other words, you say you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, then part of that fruit is to be kind. Meanness doesn't work. See, And so the mistake we make is we think sometimes that Christians are the people, a lot of people, the view of outside is that Christians are mean-spirited. We should not be the mean-spirited people. We should be the people who display the fruit of the Spirit and kindness being one of them. That's what makes the difference. When that woman who didn't have a shoe, when she was cared for and her needs, her physical needs were met with food and actually her physical needs with clothes and even undergarments, you don't think that act of generosity and kindness changed her life? She's still thinking about that act. I mean, that brought tears to my eyes. Why? Because in Jesus' name, we took care of some of her needs. Does she have other issues? I'm sure she does. But the truth of the matter is, is that's how we do it, see? And then I love this scripture. It was actually said at our wedding. It says this in Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. Clothe yourself. Humility, gentleness, and patience. So what I'm called to do is I'm called to actually put on kindness. So in the morning, what I need to do is be thinking about this. How can I be kind to Kathy? How can I be kind to the people who I, who I come in contact with? This morning, a scripture came to my mind. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm acknowledging that today is God's day and that I'm gonna rejoice in the middle of it despite whatever's going on in my life. And so the question I have for you is, can you be kind in relationships despite what's going on? I think you can that doesn't mean that you roll over and play dead. It doesn't mean that you don't deal with issues. Sometimes, does it really matter? And you have to answer, yeah, this really matters. But not everything matters, you see. And so we're called to be people who develop kindness. I have a friend who wrote a book on kindness, and she has three principles. It's funny, I'm having dinner with her and her husband Wednesday night in Atlanta. She wrote a book called The Kindness Challenge. Her name's Shanti Felton. And I'm just going to leave you with these three things, and I want to challenge you to do it. Number one... She says, um, the kindness challenge involves nix the negative. Can you nix the negative for the next 30 days? That'd be amazing. I want to challenge you to do that. Nix the negative in your relationships. Can you practice praise? Are you willing to praise that person that we're thinking about for 30 days? And even when you praise them, would you praise them in front of someone else? And then lastly is, Carry out kindness every day. Do a small act of kindness or generosity. You know, it's, it's a small act. It's not just the big stuff. It's the small acts. You do that, and you take on a positive adaptability, your relationship can change because what you're doing is you're building your house on the rock when it comes to communication and, and relationships, not on the sand. Let me pray. Almighty God, as we prepare for this last worship moment, 
Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Lord, if there's someone here who needs to apologize to a family member or a loved one, then help us have the courage and the boldness to pick up the phone or lean over and talk to them. If there's someone here who's struggling in relationships, what is their part of it? What can they do to make it right? Lord, you speak to our hearts and our minds all the time. And we pray now, Lord, that uh, this particular message would be a message of hope and a message of uh, help that we could make our relationships in line with yours. We love you. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.